Well, good evening. It is the top of the hour, 8 p.m. Thank you for everybody that's watching the replay. So as I stated, this is DJ National DJ Month, DJ and Music Month. So all month I'm going to be interviewing DJs and uh, people who support the DJ world. So I want to bring on one of my good friends, Mr. Dave DeBerry. What up? What's up, Dave? How you doing today? Man, I'm doing good out here in Bacon, Fort Worth, Texas. I know you. It's like a thousand degrees or minus zero. Absolutely, it's straight, straight um, X-ray vision type, super ray vision. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so Dave, um, we're we're interviewing DJs now. You're not a DJ anymore, but you were a DJ. Yes. So tell us about your your early career and where did it start, and where where you got the itch to DJ. I got the itch to DJ because I came up underneath the whole Russell Simmons and, you know, I'm, I'm from the, originally from Drew Hamilton Projects, you know what I'm saying, in Manhattan. So we used to come from the block parties and all that, and, you know, it just piqued my interest. And I was like, you know, one day helped my friend run around and with the whole with the whole turntables on the cart thing and all that. And I was like, oh, man, this is dope. What is this? And then got into the whole DJing culture from there. And then the rest is pretty much history. You know, so I was DJing little, little, you know, playground parties and all that. I was, I was wet under the collar, little playground parties. Nice. So, mm -hmm. you, you got your start in in Manhattan. Is that where you got your start, Manhattan? I got my start. My my my, my training ground was Manhattan. Well, I actually got my start DJing is um in my high my senior year of high school. I went to Martin Luther King in Manhattan. And uh, the, the class above me was um, the music room class was Teddy Riley and all of those cats. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the whole music. The, basically, Martin Luther King, I, they closed the school down, which I find to be amazing. But you had about six or seven multi-platinum producers come out of that one music class. And then the irony is, is for some reason, we all tend to migrate to Virginia Beach. I don't know what that was all about. And I mean, maybe it's pure coincidence. But that was my... My, I finally started making money as a DJ within Virginia Beach. Oh, the, when you start making money, you're a professional. You know Let me tell you. <laughs> Man, Teddy. Yeah, Rock, exactly. you know, that's, that's the way I look at it. Like, okay, I can... how, how was it back yeah, then? Yeah, yeah. Teddy Riley. I, was, I don't know if you know Oh, it was dope. It was crazy, though. They were like the, the big, the, the one grade up. So they were the bigger brothers. You know what I mean? So it was like, wow. Look at what they're doing. And then all you got to imagine, too, all the technology was new. So when you was a kid, it was like, what's that? That's a sampler? What is that? You know what I'm saying? So he had everything first, you know, so coming up behind him. And then going to Virginia Beach, it was kind of like, you know, culture shock. So you coming from New York being crazy progressive, and then you're going down to Virginia Beach. And I still had that music itch in my music itch. That's why I threw all that energy into DJing. You know what I'm saying? So back in them days, it was... Uh, uh, Bobby Roscoe in the Soul Range in the Soul Rangers, I believe that was their name. And they had a they had a young little cheerleading girl on with them that was you know an aspiring rapper at that time named Missy Elliott. You know what I'm saying? She was running around with them. Um, there was another dude up the street named DJ Terrible Tim, who later on got into production like myself. 
and his name is Timberland now. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, yo. you know, we all used to record at a studio on Wish Duck Road in Virginia Beach called General Joe's. So if you ever run into Timberland or Pharrell at him, just tell him, yo, you remember General Joe's army, and they'll, they'll just gonna bust out laughing. We was all we was all up in that little hot funky room <laughs> at General Joe's. And this is before Teddy Riley moved his studio down there, the future. And what's crazy is his studio. I um I did my first turning into a senior in New York, but I actually graduated from Virginia Beach. So where I graduated from, the future studio was like right behind our track and field is where Teddy Riley studio was at, which was crazy. I'm like, yo, what are they building here? Because behind us used to be this big road and nothing on it and this big lake and waterfront property and all of that. Go back then, it's like, yo, dude, what are you doing here? He's like, yo, I was riding by Virginia Beach Boulevard. I had to scoop that up, dude. You know what I'm saying? So that's how that came about. And then really that's how that all that produ production culture came out of DJ. Because we so just how, asked battles. How long did you DJ? Oh my God. Uh about six or seven years. Okay. From what year to what year? From what year? From 83 to like 90 is when yeah. I DJ. We got uh somebody saying, What's up, Super Dave? What up? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when, what, what was your first record? Do you remember what was the first record you brought? Oh, my first record, uh, it was crazy. I'll tell you how DJ tied into that. DJ tied it tied into my first record because, like, the natural progression was, you know, you got your turntables and all of that, and the technology was changing. And you, when you as a DJ and you know how to make cuts. It naturally made the progression into sampling because that's what you were doing anyway. You were taking the best part of the record, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. and looping that over and over and over and over. So really, that's what 99.9 percent .9 of all of our production culture came from. That you know how that was when you got something like Apache or something like that back in the day. You ain't play all of that. You found them other little parts in there. We just let it run for a little bit. Up oh, there you go. Remember the break beats. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh my God! What's that? I used to beat the brakes off for of that one break beat for what is called Fish or whatever Hassan. Uh -huh. It's time. That was like a rite of a rite of passage. It's time. You know, I just—I mean, my goodness! I used to tear it up so bad on vinyl that you could actually see the fade in the record from while wow. I used to dip. <laughs> you know, so, and then I turned around and bought ten more copies. So that was like my—that was like my one go-to scratch. You want to battle? I had that one little. I had that one. That one was in the pocket. Always there. So let me ask you this: How many crate? When you did parties, how many crates of records did you have to carry? I was back in those days. Now that I mean, I had a collection. I had for a party. I brought. You still have your collection. Nah, man. You know what's crazy? I couldn't begin to tell you where my collection is at. You know, <laughs> I probably got set up in my garage. Yeah, probably because I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I was thinking about that the other day, and to this day, I only own. I did an album called Wayne County Presents, and that's the only thing that I actually have in vinyl. Wow, that's crazy. And well, I know a lot of it was at my mom's crib. My mom's had a an apartment in D.C. cut like about about twenty, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And the apartment burned down, so a lot of that went. So I actually had real to real tapes and all. I had two inch Ooh, tapes, all. Of that. And she was oh, like, "Son, it's gone." <laughs> all that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, getting back to how many crates of records you used to carry? I used to carry for a party. I used to carry between 
five and six, depending upon what I want to do. Because I'm, it, it all depends. If you caught aggressive, Dave, I had six because I was like, I don't know what it was, but like just going to Virginia Beach, I had this thing about I ain't trying to let y'all dance to no ballads, none. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so in the Virginia Beach days, that's when we used to mix on um, Planet Rock with uh all of the Planet Rock type of beats. We used to just just go ham on those, you know. And the beat goes on, Planet Rock, you know. What's what's a uh, Matrix? You know, uh-huh. Maddox. You know what I'm saying? That hey, hip hop bebop. Yeah, I used to just go, man. <laughs> I used to kill it. So if you can imagine that for like a hour and a half straight, and then that's when Michael Jackson just hit. Then I Billy Jean you to death, you know. <laughs> then I and then I listened to me. My version of a ballad back then was Soul Macosa. You know, that was just, that was a breathing. That was a breathing. And I, it, it, it got so bad. I remember doing one DJing party and uh dude came and paid me money to just like, yo, please throw on a ballad. He came up to me and he was like drenched in sweat. <laughs> like he had a shirt on, shirt started changing colors from the sweat. <laughs> and he just handed me some money. He said, here, please. I said, well, I, said, well, I said, "What is this for?" He said, "Can you play? This? You can, can you play a ballad, man? I just want to. I just want to talk to her, man. I just want to talk to her. And she's athletic, and you, you, you killing me." <laughs> I said, "Okay." And then that's when I had to realize, like, you know, your playlist mattered. I was like, "Okay, some people are actually in this club, and they actually want to get with somebody." I'm like, I had yeah. no concept for that. I was like, you know, muscle bound, just aggressive, like, ah, right. Yo, what, what, ah, what, what, what. Ah, it was like bye bye, just blasting people to death, like <laughs> ridiculous. I was like real, real ridiculous. And um, DJ Terrible Tim was the same way too. He was like Terrible Tim. DJ Terrible Tim, that was Timbaland. Now he's known as Timbaland. Wow. And then, but we was all chasing this dude in the Virginia Beach because it's crazy because you're in that area now. That is so crazy to me. Yeah, to, dude. I don't know. He's probably retired by now. I hope he is. But uh, was a uh, Bobby Roscoe. He used to be the man back in the day out there. It's like all of us were yeah. trying. To- yeah, all of us was trying to be in. We were trying to get what's that? Wowie? I don't know if that station's still there. No. Yeah, we used to be. He was like the man. It's like we was all trying to be him because that was the first time I ever seen a DJ pull up and he had like his own truck and trailer. I never seen that. You know how we do? We New York. We got our crates on our back on some damn crazy ass car with wheels on it. <laughs> so yeah, I you get at a time to get in quicker. <laughs> You got you got two crates stacked in a shopping cart, another one on top, your two turntables on top of that, your amps on your side, and you're making like 19 trips back to whatever whatever. I ain't even gonna say a car. That ain't even we, yeah, we didn't have too many we cars. No cars. You know, that was later on. When I went to Virginia Beach, that's when I was like, that's when I got a car when I went to Virginia Beach, because you know, New York, that wasn't happening. Yeah. So it was like to get to do a gig in a car, I was like, what is this? I know. And if you remember all the crate times, put in the chat how many oh. records you used to carry. <laughs> oh man, I, I tell you, uh, one of my favorite stories or, the, or one of the situations I was when I had a, a, a DJ battle. Well, it was called um, not in Pembroke Square, it was called Green Run. It's like a you know like a whole you know Virginia beaches and sections. It's Green Run and you know um, military circle area, circle yeah, Midhaven Mall, all area. So I was in Green Run, had a beat battle. And I was set up, yo, the turntables, everything's running hot and everything's good. I'm just killing it before the show even start. And then the ant blew out. I was like, yo, I was like, what the hell? (laughs) So I was like, I never, that's my first experience with like music technology. I was like, we got to do better than this. 
Oh, I, had I had one of them pioneer amps that was like the size of your chest. Right. You know, and, the it, and the tubes is like hot. You can make like bacon grease on top of it. You know what I'm uh. saying? So what was crazy is I was like, oh my God, what I'm going to do? I got all these people online. They don't pay to come see this party. And I just happened to notice because back in those days, those amps had fuses in the back. Yeah. So I went to my, my Ford Galaxy 500, went into the headlight, and there's a little fuse in the headlight. And I said, it looks just like it. You know, a little, had little two little, I guess, copper things on the end yeah. of the Who put it right in the amp. And I had to drive home with one headlight and a gauntlet of tops. <laughs> but my aunt worked that night. <laughs> so it was crazy. If, if you so that's like one of my DJ chat, put in the chat that uh, if you ever had a, a an, an equipment malfunction, <laughs> and oh what equipment was it? Was it an amp? Was it needles? Was it an amp? Um, your oh. your mixer. <laughs> Every DJ oh, no needles. You had a party, yeah. but you drove home with one headlight. Mm-hmm. In Virginia Beach back in them days, it was like you know, they, it's dark out there now. Yeah, Virginia Beach Boulevard. Y'all already y'all know about Virginia Beach Boulevard. I had to, uh, I had to. Uh, matter of fact, Independence. Um, what's that? Independence and Witch Duck. Mm-hmm. Swing that right and hide up there in Arizona Village. Make sure them sheriffs ain't woo woo. Yeah, <laughs> with that one headlight. But it was crazy, man. Getting back, getting back to your New York life. Where, where else have you lived in New York? Yeah, they ain't a place in New York I haven't lived in New York City. I lived on Staten Island, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Manhattan, everywhere, man. It's like all over the place. <laughs> you know what I'm but, uh, but, but the craziest place that I lived in New York City was, believe it or not, I lived in Manhattan, and this is the crazy thing. In Manhattan during the 80s, we had a five-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment with two floors in there. Mm. You know how much that thing is worth now? We didn't know. Probably two or three million. Yeah, we didn't know. We didn't. We didn't know. Yeah, we had five five bedrooms, five bedrooms, um, two bathrooms. The bedrooms was downstairs. Two bathrooms at the end of the hall. The yeah. Hall, and the whole upstairs was nothing but a big gigantic living room with a kitchen. Wow. And we had two balconies. Now that apartment is like easily three or four million dollars something Ooh, crazy. Easily. And that's on Eighty Seventh Street and Amsterdam Avenue. My neighbors, but matter of fact, we used to go sit out in the front of the building, and uh, uh, Mr. Orange was, um, he, I ain't going to say was, he still is Robert De Niro's bodyguard, and his son used to play with us. So we be coming, we we come out in the front of the building, you know, blasting, uh, you know, boom boxes and all that with beats that we done did, did with the cassette pause button mixes and all of that. <laughs> rascals, we was trying to be the Latin rascals. We was trying to, we was trying to, eh, 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 you know, do the sampling thing. Didn't know they had samples, so all of us did it. Cut the, you know, cut the cassette, hit it back with some tape, throw it on it, cut a little bit more, hit it back with some tape, and then you had to do your fake echo because you sat there for like ten days just having your your name go across a, a daggone song for like ten minutes, and then why why in the world did running them make that song um, Sucker MC? And it had Dave cut the record down to the bottom. Uh, that? that was you, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> why they do that? That was my dude, Davey DMX. But uh huh. Like, why? Why y'all make that record, man? It's like my this forearm is bigger than this one because of that. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, when when you DJ'd, where where did it take you? Oh like, man. Uh, did you I play all these out of state? 
it, it, it didn't take me, but it, but, but the people that I influenced, like when my early production days, because like I said, I lived on 87th Street, and there was a, we had a young dude that you saw was on, come by, him and his um, DJ partner. So I used to actually manage for a little bit DJ Rock Raider, who was like number one DJ in the world with the X-Men and Executioners and all of that, and um, MF Grimm and MF Doom. They still legendary rappers. That came out of my house. If you pull up, I don't know if there's a lot of profanity out there, but I'm going to keep it rated G. But if you pull up a, man, if you pull up a song by MF Grimm called So <laughs> If you pull up a song called So What You Want, Nigga, you know what I'm saying? That that was done in my in my bedroom on 87th Street. Wow. Yeah. And that's MF Grimm. And that's produced by what's his name? Um, I call him Sean, but he's known as what's the DJ Nobody or whatever. That's like Jay-Z's right hand producer. Okay. That came out my that came out my living room. Like that whole muddy sound. Yeah. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> that's my yeah. terrible mixing. <laughs> Rock Nastiest. Yeah, I had a Soundcraft 600 mixing board with like 24 channels and a two-inch tape. If you can imagine in an apartment rattling the whole complex. You know, that thing was like booming. So that's like, but like out of my DJing, the influence, like Rock Raider, I'm the one that actually bought DJ Rock Raider, his turntables. You know, he was signed to me and I was just like, he was like, yo, I want to get some 1200s. I was like, yo, come on, let's go downtown. Let's just do it, bro. It's like, I see what you're capable of. So then he introduced me to... um. I forgot the Superman or the X-Men or all that. And I had never really seen the executioners. The executioners. And I I I knew Ray the DJ. I didn't know he was like the man. You know that what I'm saying? Was nasty. He used to do that thing where he turned his back and yeah. scratch with his he had on the DMC. One of the, one yeah. of those things, one one of those right. uh, VHS tapes, matter of fact. <laughs> it was so now, now I'll tell you a story about that. There's a the the very first one, I think, from 92 or whatever, and it had the, the Asian dude, DJ Ninja, and it was him against Rock Raider and all that, and Ross Swift and all of that. That one that sold millions of copy, copies is actually my VHS tape that somebody <laughs> Somebody is like, somebody came, we had a big ridiculous party at my house one day, and the tape was gone. You know, I ain't paying no mind. And I can tell you, it was at the Palladium. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was at the Palladium. I was there with uh, multi-platinum producer Dave Anthony, who did Janet Jackson. And um, my, my right, those are my dudes, Dave, Dave Anthony and David Anthony and um, Daryl Delight Allenby. Right. He was there. If, if if they ever find footage on that tape that they erase it, they got like footage of us three. You got about thirty million in record sales right there, just kidding around, acting like idiots on there. You know they cut all of that out. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it was fun, but that's before we all started selling records and all that. And it's crazy. We were famous and nobody know it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, but I was the one that actually filmed that. And so what they did, they did. I sure they got me talking on it too. And they they sat there and they cleaned that sucker up. I saw it one day. I said, "Damn, that's my tape." Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm so it's crazy. Wow. But, you know, Rock Raider, Rock Raider put it on. You know, and then the rest from there. So it was as far as saying where my DJ took me. I'm like, you know, I looked at that's my little brother. So wherever he went, I went. You know what I'm saying? So my DJ took me all over the world. Rest <laughs> and my DJ took me to. You know, I can't really show it, but uh, you know, I got I got a couple of shiners around here. Yeah. <laughs> so so my, fast forward to your producing thing. When how long was it when you left the DJ world to when you start producing? It was a it was a transition that was kind of inevitable. You know what I'm saying? It was just it's just a natural progression because you I was always in love with music. Period. 
You know what I'm saying? So I started self-teaching myself instruments. You know, you sitting there, what's that? Uh, you, you you playing them little simple bass lines, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm sitting there like, um, what's that? That One of the first bass lines I learned was, um, doom, the doom, 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 doom. Oh. Doom, 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 doom. So I was like, I had to, I had to have that one. You know what I'm saying? So when you come from that, and um, and I was blessed to actually go on tour. You know what I'm saying? My brother Tony Rome working at Def Jam. He's like, "Yo, what you doing this summer?" I said, "Uh, nothing." I'm, I was working at Red. I don't know if you remember Red Apple Supermarkets and Finance and all. Yes. That. You know what I'm saying? Wow, so, I haven't yeah, heard. I was dude, I, wow. Yeah, I was a dude stuck in the dairy department flipping yogurts. <laughs> I was flipping yogurts, dude. I was flipping yogurts. <laughs> yogurts. Wow. Red Apple on 89th and Broadway, son. I was flipping yogurts, dude. How you want? So when you went on tour, who, who were you on tour with? Oh, man. I went on the Fresh Fest tour, and the headliners went back, the headliners went back and forth. But it was Run DMC, Houdini. Uh, the BC boys, everything on Def Jam, pretty much. Everybody on Def Jam, yeah. Um, Will Smith, you know what I'm saying? Public he was Enemy. On Def Jam? No, he wasn't on Def Jam, but he was on the tour. Oh, so, okay. like some of, the, some of the dates when you did on tour, you just got whoever had the hot single. It was like, yo, you, you come on the tour. Like my my right hand dude, dude, loving the deaf guy. Rest of the day was on. Um, that really was a mentor to me. That kind of helped me from my transition of being a street idiot. Into like a businessman was on um, Jam Master J. <laughs> Jam Master J used to always be like, "Yo, dude, you smart, you know what I'm saying? You're not regular." He's like, "Yo," and I used to just always gravitate to him because he was like, a, "He was a he was a visionary," you know what I'm saying? And you see how that manifests. If you like, people forget he did um Onyx and a lot of stuff on Def Jam, and he did a lot of you know a lot of stuff with his JMJ records that showed you that he was not just a DJ. The boy was bad, you know what I'm saying? So it's like one day I was road managing and. You know, and basically road manager was like back in them days, we was glorified case carriers. We called ourselves OCCs. You were a good carrier for, for the yeah. world. Yeah, well, for, for DJs, know about it. I don't know if you DJed in the 80s, everything you had them 1200s, you had to have them big ass, heavy ass metal cases for it if you wanted to go on the plane. Yeah, those things. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's a BCC right there. Except when to go on a plane to make sure your stuff ain't get stolen, we used to have them bright arms. Okay. Like I was, I was so I. So when I went on tour, my brother said, you know, because I just finished working corrections too. So I'm like, yo, I'm making good money or whatever, and I'm like, yo, so what am I? So I'm, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna have you as an assistant road manager, and your title's gonna be OCC. I'm like, oh man, that's dope. What am I, OCC, huh? He said, yeah. So I'm going on tour and all of this. Finally, get out there, and then like the first stop we got was Pittsburgh, and you know, on the tour bus or whatever. As soon as I got off the bus, they're like, yo, who the OCC? I got my chest out. Yeah, I'm the OCC. What's good, son? Man, everybody in the tour running them is laughing, and Houdini is laughing. They're like, you the OCC? I'm like, yeah, I'm the OCC. What you need me to do? You know what I'm saying? They're like, okay, dude. So Russell Simmons comes over and he breaks down. He said, okay, I'm going to pop his cherry. You know what I'm saying? He don't know what the OCC is. I'm like, no, what the hell is the OCC? He said, OCC stands for Orange Case Carrier. And every damn thing on that bus was in a big metal ass orange case. You talking about them, them speakers, them speakers, them, them, them concert speakers with the, the 13 foot pioneer color. Remember they remember they called them ass kickers back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. The 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 so I had the ass kicker speakers. 
10 columns of ass kickers. Oh, man. Turntables. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? So I found out that OCC wasn't a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Because as an OCC one, you, you're you the hired help. So you, uh, you're basically slave boy. So I ain't never seen nobody show. <laughs> Everybody like, yeah. Let me your name now, your OCC. Yeah, I'm the OCC. So I'm like, yo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, yo. I was like, what the hell is this? So I'm like, you know, hey. All right, cool. I finished loading up everything. Can I go see the, the show? They're like, nah, man. You got to stop being ready to unload all of this stuff. You got to pack it back up. I'm like, damn. Can I can I get a burger? They're like, nope. Assistant road manager. Those those out there in in the comments don't become one. Oh, they man, be careful what you ask for. You know. Mm. But what's crazy is I'm actually getting ready to write a. a I'm actually going because I'm working with a film company now too. So I'm actually going. All of this is going to come out like in the next year now. Nice. And the name of it, I'm letting you know right now. The name of my story is going to be called the OCC. Nice. I got some stories to tell. I heard it first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, heard it first. Yeah, the the OCC, but that that all comes from DJ. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and that's basically how I got into production. Is going on tour and. You know, watching Jay and watching Jazzy Jeff and all of them, and really, I tell you what kind of got me out of DJing though, which is a funny story, is when I went back to Virginia Beach, which is crazy, right? Yeah. My dude DJ Doc was—he's from Philadelphia. Now Terry Richardson, he's from Philadelphia, and I came back. He said, "Yeah, man, you want touring all of that? Did you get to go to Philly yet?" And I'm like, "Nah, I ain't go to Philly." You know how New York is, like, yeah, we, yo, dude, we. We we killing the game, blah blah blah. You know, we got Jam Master J and I I got you know, I got Grandmaster D, you know what I'm saying, with with Houdini and all that. Ain't nobody better than them in DJ and bro and this, that, the other. Yo, he threw this cassette tape on. And it was <laughs> it was a dude named DJ Cash Money and uh-huh. a dude named Jazzy Jeff. I always knew Jazzy Jeff through the, you know, the Fresh Prince records. I didn't know he was a DJ. I thought he was just like 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 Flavor Flay, like the hype I, man. <laughs> I didn't, I, man, he played me that goddamn cassette, man. I was like, my words was literally like, yo, this is not humanly possible. What the hell is this? And then I got to see it. Now, this is before I went on back on tour and before we went back to Philadelphia. And I, now I got back on that tour bus. I had that cassette with me. I said, hey, man. I went right to Jam Master J. I said, hey, man, don't come up there with that old Vuga Vuga shit. Don't, don't, Vuga Vuga, don't do that shit. You fall back, bro. And he's like, what you talking about? So I said, yo, come here, man. I said, you know, and, it, and it's cool because he's a humble dude. Yeah. Most cats, you know, they got that celebrity status. They ain't just like you talking about, yo, come here. And they coming. You know what I'm saying? I was like, Jay, I promise you, dude, you want to hear this shit. And that's when uh, God rest the dead, the fat boys was alive. So, you know, you see Jay talking about, like, yo, what this nigga talking about? And I'm like, all right, boom. He came in the room. I said, trust me when I tell you, you ain't never heard nothing like this. You know what I'm saying? The fat boys and all them came in there. I hit that cassette button, yo. Cash Money and Jazzy Jeff was scratching with a damn speaking spell. You know the little the joint that you pull the cord on it, and then you, and then they say, yo, on this speaking spell, watch how I transform. Will Smith was like something, something, something. Then watch it be gone because my dude Jazzy Jeff is about to transform. And then he said, right then and there, I knew my DJ career was over. <laughs> That was a wrap for me. I was like, done, huh? Because you know what it was? Because I, I heard the shit and I seen it. And I was like, I, I'm not even comprehending what they're doing. 
And then my boy DJ Doc pulled me to the side because he's from Philly and he wasn't hating, you know what I'm saying? Because Philly at that time, they wasn't showing New York shit. You know what I'm saying? They was like, mm-mm, we ain't showing you nothing, bro. And I was like, yo, the, the technology gap from what you just did is too huge. Too huge. You're going to have to share that. You're going to have to do that for the blacks, my brother. You're going to have to keep that one black. So that's when he told me you had the little Newmark mixes with the, they didn't have the big ones. They had the tiny Radio Shack mixes. Remember them? Yeah. They had the tiny Radio Shack mixer with the little fader, and it had a little switch Wait, on it. A, a realistic. Yes. Realistic black joint with the little fader and the joint, you know what I'm saying? Had to spray the little doom, doom, doom in there so it could get the cock, 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 cock real fast, you know what I'm saying? But they were using the, the, the mic line input on the top with the fader, and that's how it's going to... And I was like, yo, but I was like, even doing that, that's okay. I said, that's the transforming part. But they were so damn fast. I was like, yo, like the most under, I promise you, the most underrated DJ that you will ever meet is Jazzy Jeff. I'm telling Cat, yo, to this day, he's like, you don't want them hands, bro. You don't want them. That dude is nice. That dude is, he's brutal, bro. (laughs) (laughs) He's ruthless on that thing. And DJ. And DJ Cash Money is like ridiculous. Yeah, I, so I watched him after after I watched uh, Jazzy Jeff after he got better after he had uh, the virus, and he got better and he came on, and yo, <laughs> him and Will Smith put put a a, a jam session you could say. I, I don't think people understand how dope them cats were. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy for Will and Jeff is because it's kind of like what I you know. I ain't gonna compare myself to them, but it's like you move on. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's nothing else that Will or Jeff has to do in rap or whatever. There ain't nothing else that they need to do there. So that's kind of how I felt with DJing. It's like I ain't saying I'm all of that, but it's like I did create my own economy in DJing enough when I was a youngling. You know, I'm like 17, 18, or whatever it is, and I was like, I had my own car, I had my own crib, I had my own crib at 16. Yeah, yeah, and that was from DJing. That was like DJing was my source of income. What, had, what was your DJ name? Oh my God, it was to DJ Juice, and still to this day, cats call me Buddha. <laughs> like I got like Tone, Tone calls me Buddha. What up, Buddha? I'm like, oh my God, you remember that, huh? <laughs> DJ Juice, and there's like some when I first started out trying to print out my own records, they DJ Buddha, DJ DJ Juice on them. That was when I first started dabbling in like house records in '92. Oh, you know, so DJ Juice is what I was. You nice. know, he's crazy. I mean, I tell you another crazy one. We had um, I had a, we had a, one of the. I don't know. You might be able to look it up in the archives, but there was actually a riot in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, really? in nineteen eighty three or something like that. It was a riot in Green Run at a clubhouse. That oh, was, yeah, I know nothing. Yeah, me, me, and my yeah. boys. Uh, DJ Tommy Lee and P Nice, mm-hmm. I, I think they're on right now. We didn't we didn't head to Virginia Beach until eighty uh, seven, right? One of the Greek fests, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm, a, I'm one of the prime, one of the premier OGs with the Greek fest thing. I'm the one that started them parties out there, uh-huh. but also that's what happened was like that first riot was because of something like that. Like one, of, I was a DJ at like one of the first riots. We were there before, the year before, the year after is when they had that that riot, and then we had yeah, that was that was when <clears throat> that one happened when MTV and all of them started coming down. 
But mine happened because nine. Uh, he said yeah, mine happened because the police presence was they were trying to be ridiculous, but the kid, you know, the youth in Virginia Beach was like, nah, doc, you only out here with two cars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You out here with two cars and two cops. And it's like, nah, there's like 80 of them here. <laughs> and they were happening. And so what happened the next year with Greek Fest, that's when you had it, it, it turned crazy because you had crazy racist cops out of North Carolina and South Carolina. It's like they migrated like evil niggas, you know, like wow. evil motherfuckers. <laughs> they migrated them down to Virginia Beach to police all black situations. And to me, it's so crazy. Like that's still going on today. Yeah, for real. Like, you know, I'm like anybody that worked in policing. Like I did a little bit of corrections or whatever. My badge is around here somewhere. The common sense is you don't put nobody on patrol in high crime neighborhoods that ain't been on the job for at least five years. You just don't do that. <laughs> like to me, that that right there in itself is like. You don't put somebody that just been out out of the academy in the guts. You know what I'm saying? They, they put you got to put them on. It should be like, yeah, it should be like lethal weapon. You know what I'm saying? You got to put Danny Glover. You know what I'm saying? With a young cat to kind of police his bullcrap. So now what you got is the dude fresh from Iraq, and Lord knows what the hell happened to him running around watching too much TV. You know what I'm saying? Trying to police these situations, and they've seen it. I've seen it before with the Virginia Beach riots. That's what it was. Right. Oh, okay. You know so, what I'm saying? So, so getting to this, this is we talking about 89, 88, 89, maybe 90. Right. So you're, you're into producing now. Yeah. My what first was one of the first records you produced. Oh, I, 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 the first record that I actually produced. Now you got to keep in mind this is Russell Simmons and them, so everything's a free for all. And I'm a young producer, and I did not know business then. You know what I'm saying? So the first record I actually produced is I, I'm the one to put that sample in that um that Mary Mary song and that Go Ill song. That's me. Those are first songs. Run DMC. Yeah, those are first songs I actually did. Mary Mary, why is you bugging? That that beat, the Mary Mary beat. That's me. You know, so that's why me and Rick Rubin is cool. You famous and nobody know it. Yeah, Reverend Run hates my cuts to this day because that song got a UB Illin is was voted on VH1 the transitional song to modern rap. You know what I'm saying? Because that was the first time you got to keep in mind that was before Walk This Way and all of that. Right. Well, when I was on tour, I did a song called Hey Hey All in All, and I had hooked up with a dude, Gene Singleton, and I actually. We had rock guitar on a rap record. So all of that Aerosmith shit, they got that from me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. So, I was just like, you know, because we kind of influenced the BC Boys too. Oh, the BC Boys was they they were just some back crap crazy ass radio dudes. I don't know if you remember they used to be on the radio when on the Latin, what are the, what do they call them? The Latin Latin, Latin rappers. Yeah, when the Latin rascals was on radio. They used to have, I think, Bobito and them came on behind them, and after that, they had this other crazy ass prank show on the radio. Remember that? No. Okay. Well, anyway, the prank <laughs> show where they call people up and just act stupid on the phone—that was the Beachy Boys. Ah. So that's where they came from. They came from that whole Latin Rascals type situation, and then what it was is they was actually kind of making fun. Uh, the, that whole movement, because what I did is like I, I tell you the story of how that that's the first record I ever produced and how that came about was me and Reverend Run actually almost got into a fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because mm. he's like, I'm supposed to be a bodyguard, 
but I don't let me see if you can fight or whatever. So me and him on the tour bus. And I just said, okay, this is back in you know 80 in physical fitness day, Dave Day. So it's like now I just dropped down on the ground, did a split and stood up and put my leg up in the ceiling, you know, and, and time act just play fighting in the hall and all that. And he's like, yo, dude, you nice. I'm like, yo, dude, you ain't no okay. joke. Hold That's on, Dave. Hold on, Dave. They don't know you were in, heavily into karate. Oh, no. I, I, I can show you some pictures later on, like me doing flips in the air and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> it's my wife, like. I've seen a couple of pictures. I've seen a couple of pictures. Yeah, I was in um martial arts tournaments in 83. Curtis um, Curtis Bush and uh, the who's the, the, the Tybo dude you just whoop all our ass? The dude that invented Tybo? It'll hit me later with Billy yeah. Blanks. Billy that, Blanks. Huh? Blanks. That's Billy name. Blanks, yeah. And the deal with Billy Blanks is he had this this right jab and right foot thing that nobody could figure out. Like the dude was so damn fast. It's like because nah. if you even watch him in some of the movies, like in the movies, he's one of them dudes, he was too good. He would whoop everybody ass. So like when he fought Jean Claude Van Damme as a stunt guy in the movie, if you watch the movies, you could see he had to slow down. You know what I'm saying? For Jean-Claude. Like, there's one thing with Jean-Claude threw a kick at him, and he swept under Jean-Claude. He would have knocked Jean-Claude to Neptune with that damn kick if he ain't slowed down. <laughs> so if you look, it's actually funny. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude's foot is coming, and it's like Billy Blanks already ducked and, like, punched him in his nuts and was back before his foot got there. You know what I'm saying? But then he, and then, and then the foot goes by, and then you see Billy Blanks go like, oh! You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, dude, you, you don't even want that smoke. You know what I'm saying? So this it is it's, it's it's so much crazy stuff, man. It's like, you know, so so out of that, I'm I'm one of those cats that like oh, I came up, you know, watching too many Bruce Lee movies, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so Virginia Beach, like, yeah, that's just what we did. Yeah, we we did too in the Bronx in, in Edenwall. Yeah, everybody stood there. Oh, three o'clock. Three o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> in the house, five yeah. o'clock, everybody, no, five oh three, everybody back outside practicing. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, then when I moved out to Queens, it was like, you know, seafood Duncan. Ah, oh, you know, rest in peace, seafood Duncan. Whooping everybody. Your boy in Queens, the one that played the guitar. Al, he, Al Bermudez. He lives in Al is in Orlando, Florida. He's still doing his thing. He's still him and Petro. Have a, they have a project out, man. You gotta, you gotta bring them in here and interview them. Yeah. Doing their thing, day. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Hey, man. You know so. You know, so that's how that whole thing, you know, the how I got part of my road technology too. It's like, you know, I was I was OCC, road manager, bodyguard. I was a, I was like, yo, whatever paid. Matthew Pedro went on the road too, so you probably interview him and he'll tell you some of them crazy stories. Yeah, Pedro <laughs> Pedro went on the road. We were running around and hopping over little kids with turntables and stuff. You know, Drew broke Grandmaster D broke a needle. Make it happen. It's like, dude, we in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I don't know where the hell to get a DJ needle from here. So we had to actually, in them days, you had to find the local DJ and go like, yo, please, man, let me throw you a hundred dollars. Let me use your turntable. Mm. And it was great. That and that's how I got like um matter of fact, give me one second. Let me show you this. Man, this is like really crazy. Oh yeah. <laughs> And and I'll tell you who a DJ has who a DJ has taken me is <laughs> I'll show you better than I can tell you. As um uh we went to Dallas, Texas, and we actually needed a pair of 1200s. And the only person that had 1200s was a dude named Twani, Tommy Kwan who managed this guy. Nice. 
and that's how this happened. And you produced you produced a song on on that album. Yeah, and I'm gonna tell you the, the irony of it. Yeah, that's Vanilla that's Ice for those who, who didn't see. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably history. Yeah, that is history. Yeah, and this is one of like um, I'm trying to angle it so you just have to. See yeah, it. we see it and yeah. the, and the light. <laughs> That's like whatever seven eight times platinum whatever that is. Yeah, but that's like a, he got a two part album. But uh, how that whole situation came about is because Reverend Run said no. Wow. <laughs> Tommy Kwan, we was in a club called Monopolies in City Lights. That's back in the eighties in Dallas, and that's when we just finished coming off the tour with um, MC Hammer, and that's um his brother Louis Burrell made that happen. You know what I'm saying, Stanley? Yeah. Louis. And we just finished coming off tour, and they was like, nah, man, them dude, that dude, MC Hammer's crazy corny. But I'm sitting there like, yo, y'all might think he's corny, but I'm seeing the way that this audience is responding to him. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this dude hopping around. I said, I said, this dude doing backflips, and girls is flying in the air. The panties is flying, sneakers, socks, everything. It looked like a damn car crash. You know, it looked like a plane crash. I'm like, yo, <laughs> you got all of that going on. And then you come in behind that, and it's like, okay, you just going with a turntable. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, dude, this nigga had plane crashes and all that. Yeah, movie scenes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I saw that, and I seen what the response was with that. And I said, when we went to City Lights and Tommy Kwan had Vanilla Ice performing, you know what I'm saying? And he was like, it, it was intentional, but he brought out, you know, Tommy Kwan brought out all the smoking screens and all of that. And all I seen was this white dude get up on stage and he was dancing with the black dudes and stepping with the best of them. I was like, yo, and everybody's like, nah, we don't want to do nothing with him. And I'm like, I said, dude, I'm sitting here and I'm saying to myself, the dude danced like he black. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Dance like he black. That's the only thing I know. And I said, the last time I checked, you know, kind of like the Michael Jordan, it's like white people buy records too. And I said, I, and what I noticed at that time too, the the first year we went on tour, we was in on you know I call them the you know the to this day the black voters you know demographic like black people are mainly in major urban cities you know you're like in Virginia Beach and DC this that whatever you're you're not in what's that Maryland Virginia or whatever in the mountains you're not in Bristol you know what I'm saying <laughs> we ain't dead, you know what I'm saying. You, you're not Newberry, New Brunsville or whatever, Tennessee or whatever. And then what I noticed that next year when we went on tour, we were starting to get gigs there. It's like, you know, you, you can almost, when you were first, when I first year I went on tour, it was like all the, the urban cities. And it was like, you could almost map it out before the tour happened. It's like, okay, if I'm in New York, the next one going up, it makes sense. We stopping in Philadelphia, you know what I'm saying? And then, but now the next year after that, it's like, okay, New York, now we're going to Scranton, and then we're going to Philadelphia. And I'm saying, no, okay, I'm checking this out. And then what happened before that is we started doing California, and then we, instead of doing L.A., we started doing them little pockets and whatever, and I actually got to sit in a room and have a conversation with this dude named Eze. You know what I'm saying? Uh, West Eze? Yeah, the Eze, N-W-A Eze. This is wow. like I'm DJ Pooh and all of them nice people used to chase, chase my brother Tony around to manage him. Uh-huh. And he said, he said, no, wah, wah, big mistake. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So it's like me and him had a conversation. I said, yo, is it just me or at all these shows, man? Ain't no damn black people here. Mm-hmm. And it's still like 
that to this day. When you go to concerts, you go to major concerts, like if you go to Bruno Mars or you go to see Beyonce or something like that, we ain't the ones that's there, bro. We the little we the little specs that's in there. So it's like, you know, I'm I'm like sorry, you know. So my thought on that was kind of like, well, I didn't know that Vanilla Ice would sell that many records, but my thought coming into that was like, hey, they're gonna pay me a check to to be on this. I'm like, hell, you know, I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? And then two, it was a situation of if that if he ever gets to go on tour and go through Nebraska and Iowa and all of this, that the other, he gonna he gonna kill the game. And that's basically the rest of the system. Matter of fact, when he went on tour, he was on all tracks record and it was like it was like, please can I go on tour? You know what I'm saying? Like Tommy Kwan did his thing, like, please can I, can he go on tour? Like we you don't even have to pay us. By the time the the song Ice Ice Baby hit the charts, by the second week on that tour, it's like it was in Vogue, it was MC Hammer and somebody. By the third week of that tour, Vanilla Ice went from being the nobody to being the headliner, which mm-hmm. is still unheard of. Imagine, imagine you get a, a nigga on your on your set talking about yo, listen to my demo, and then three weeks later, you got to pay him all y'all checks can put together. <laughs> that that's what the situation was. It was literally wow. that. It's like in Vogue talking about hold on. He's we, we was like hold up. We looking at Billboard. Hold up. <laughs> he was like hold up. Doing diamond in like two months. <clears throat> you know that's still a record. You know, telling them and we only on day two with these stories. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what I'm saying. So it's like yo, yeah. And we it, got it, we got a lot of legends coming up too that that have <laughs> stories. Yeah. So let me ask you this: Um, Mm -hmm. who who else have you produced? Oh, and on the producer, I have a broad scope. I I I just I've been session musician. I played on Outkast records. You know what I'm saying? Like some when they had their own label, I don't know if they came out or whatever. Like I got a bunch of piles and stuff. I've um, CeeLo Green, Diddy, Too Short. Um, I. Opened up a production company called Jazz Simple, where I had like about four multi-platinum producers come out of that whole project, and they and they went on to do their thing, which was two thousand watts, and they did a Buster Janet record. Gonna make, gonna make nobody feel yeah. Did that? Uh, <laughs> there's a in my bedroom by Silk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Look at tell you. Matter of fact, um, Tank record recently. Uh, if you fucking with me, whatever, blah blah blah. That's a sampling us. You know what I'm saying? So uh-huh. it's kind of like my dude. That's my right hand dude, like. And it's kind of like he said, as we get older now, he said, "Dude, we just classics now." You know what I'm saying? They sampling us. I'm like, shit. Let, let that check be coming in, bro. <laughs> Y'all cry. I heard um that everybody's they kind of did like a a conjoining type situation with the whole Vanilla Ice thing. So it's like really back in them days, it's like everybody got piece of the album and piece of publishing and all this crazy stuff. And the irony of that whole album is, you remember, you remember the whole Vanilla Ice incident and him getting hung over the balcony and all that stuff? Yeah, I heard. Well, that was the Suge Knight extorted him for his publishing and the Negro got me too. He got some of my publishing. But all of that money from that he got from Vanilla Ice funded Death Row. Wow. So, yeah, so Vanilla Ice, basically Vanilla Ice, myself, Ken Sharp, a couple other people, Earthquake, DJ Earthquake, basically we are the funders of Death Row. Because mm. <laughs> you know they jacked all our publishing, the big bastard. <laughs> yeah. 
So let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When um how do you feel? You know, a lot of DJs are streaming now and Facebook and, and Instagram right. and them are cutting people off because of the, the publishing, BMI and ASCAP and you know the rest of them. You as a producer who has songs out there which you get paid for when you mm-hmm. when people play them, how do you feel when people are, are you know whining and bitching about uh playing them or, or getting cut off, but you're playing this stuff for free? Well, to me, there's two sides to that because if you don't play me, how the hell are you supposed to know who I am? You know what I'm saying? The reason I make music ain't for me, it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so on the same token, we don't control the financial end of it. You know what I'm saying? Because the streaming thing, every time, because, you know, it's all algorithm-based, so somebody is just figuring out how to make money, but it ain't like we seen it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like streaming, basically, a, a 99 or the to get the money of one record, you need like 150,000 streams or some shit like that. You know what I'm saying? So, or, and that's like per tenth, uh, per tenth of a penny or some shit like that. So, to give you the perfect case in point, Pharrell got like, remember that song Happy? That shit had like six billion streams. The dude <laughs> made like $7,000. Really? You know yeah, he didn't make shit. You can look that up. And then the thing about it is he didn't make the money, but because of his likeness being used, you know, YouTube or whoever streamed that got the advertisement dollar. You know what I'm saying? So wow. what is, you know, I would if I got something that sells six billion and I'm coming home and I'm thinking I got me Bentley money and I get a damn tax refund check, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm I'm pissed and I'm gonna be like, all right, I'm not gonna say you can't play my music, but I'm like, we we have to figure something out because that's just ridiculous. And what Jay-Z did, like everybody gets on him about, he learned, you know, I'm from that school. It's like, if you want to make a change in anything, and that includes like what we're going through now, uh-huh. protesting and all that, if you don't own nothing, that's exactly what you do. You don't own nothing. You know what I'm saying? So I tell people, just shut up and win, man. Stop owning your shit. Yeah. We, I wouldn't be worried about making $6,000 and this dude making a billion if I owned it. Right. You know what I'm saying? I was like, you see, do what Napster created the platform. It was a free for all, <laughs> you know. But we didn't do it. It sounds crazy, but if imagine if back in the day when they had Black Planet, you told before they changed into a damn porn site or whatever the hell, <laughs> Black Booty, Black Planet. Imagine if we had Black Planet and then slid a music platform in. There. Wow. Like, by you 10, 15 years later, you know what I'm saying? You be you be getting a hundred thousand dollar gigs DJ. Mm. Yeah, put, down, put in the chat if you remember Black Planet. Yeah, Black Planet. You know, <laughs> stuff like MySpace had it. You know, the MySpace. MySpace. Wow. They showed you really how that whole technology changed because the people that took advantage of that, like the misconception is, you know, that you can do what these other cats are doing. Like Kim Kardashian and them, all of them blew up because they figured out the algorithm first. Yeah. You know, remember, remember when MySpace first came out. They created this virus that was snatching everybody's email information and all of that. You know what I'm saying? So Kim Kardashian and them jumped on that, was doing the MySpace modeling thing, and then to put an emphasis on her popularity, she did the porn joint with Ray J. You wow. know what I'm saying? And the rest is here. And then they figured out, okay, 
through this avenue, I can sell you shoes, I can sell you this and that. So it's not like you just gonna come out, you know, out of nowhere and be like, yo, I'm internet famous. It's like, yo, all of these internet cats, there's a game to it, man. Especially DJing and all of that too. And it's like, if this can be the origin of like having like some, you know, like uniting, yeah, to make some things happen. I'm all for it, man. It's like keep keep it your own because everything ain't about like a billion dollars. Everything's about consistency to me. Yeah, like I tell all the artists that I'm dealing with now, I'd rather have ten thousand consistent fans. You can build, you know, you can sell an album at ten bucks a pop or whatever. You got ten thousand fans every time you put out an album. That's hundred grand to split or whatever. Put out three a year, and you can live good. You know, and the, I'm gonna tell you who was who was on that before all of this shit happened. Sure. It was Chuck D. Chuck D. from um public um from Public Enemy. Yeah, that's what we used to sit and talk about. And he'll tell you to this day. He's like, "Yo, I made more money now with this internet shit than I ever did with Def Jam in my whole life." Wow. You know what I'm saying? And that's really what it is now. So it's about being an entrepreneur and owning your own stuff. It, it, I'd rather sell you ten thousand real records. Then sell you a hundred thousand fake streams that ain't, it's gonna cost me money, right? Yeah, so that because I'm, I'm telling all these young cats, yo, it that lightning in the bottle ain't real, bro. There's there's money behind that. <laughs> you know, it ain't like yo, I got this, I got this hot. I'm mean, you know because right now I'm 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 a and r for new music at Planet Hum Records slash Universal Records. That's a, a label in Sweden. Okay, and like. You know, signing recording artists now. It's like, yo, you you have to. Music is five percent of it now. Like KRS One said that back in the day. He said, he said, talent and talent in your music is five percent of this year. Mm. So true. It's like, you know, talent and talent in music is your gift. Now, this is a business. Exploitation is the business. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How do you do that? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like mm-hmm. I used to tell cats back in the day before they asked me to listen to their demo or whatever, I said, here's what you need to do. Take 10 of them shits and give them away for free. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get, take 10 of them shits and try giving your music away for free. And, and then you will understand what you're getting into. Remember back in the day you had a CD, yo, buy my CD? Yeah. Take your shit, listen, shake the CD, we got a CD to then toss that shit and the frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, all right, now this frisbee that they just threw, you talking about charging their ass $12.99 for that frisbee they just threw. Right. So that gives you a perspective on business, and the same rules apply to DJing. So that, hey, I got a stream, and booga booga, I got you. Nah, <laughs> that don't work no more. You know, find you, find you your solid, your solid, you know, your crew, and you'll be all right. If you're innovative and you're creative, yeah. I tell everybody in any industry, if you innovative and creative, we're going to find you. You ain't got to worry about it. You ain't got to have all the numbers. Yeah. Like right now out here, there's a dude that's a Mexican cat that's taking like crazy old Mexican records and mixing it with trap music and that shit is fire. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I ain't hear nothing like that. You know, he's like, bachata, 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 boom, boom, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, it's similar, but it's different because from the Northeast where we're at, it's like Dominican and Puerto Rican. Right. We down here, Mexican is that's a total different animal. And now with the internet, everything is international. You know, your money is going to come from your international market. That's why this is a great platform. DJing is is one of music's rare universal languages. Yeah, it you really know? is. I, I remember, I remember you telling me um, that the club we went to when I was out there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, Erica Badu. Yeah, yeah, Erica Badu is a DJ. She be killing the game. Erica Badu be DJing. My man DJ, DJ Fife. He need to come on up in here. He DJs whatever, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's a DJ and stuff on Spinderella's here. You know she is. Saying? Yeah, Spinderella's here. Her daughter's here. Her daughter's like a world, a world-renowned DJ. She, wow. uh, we did a rooftop. We did a rooftop party like two or three years ago, and she was killing the game. She's playing house records I ain't never heard before. <laughs> I was like, yo, why you? I'm like, yo, why you look familiar? She's like, that's hey, from Jersey. Yeah, I said, oh, that's been the rebel. You know what I'm saying? When I used to manage high five, she was like, oh, I remember you. I was like, hey, what up, sis? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, like, so as far as with DJing has taken me literally all over the world. I mean, I'm not gonna, I, I, you know what I'm saying? It, it's a great thing. And like, I have an artist right now, and I'm producing a Latrita Maxi. I got homeboy from Italy hit me up like, yo, I got, five, I got a file on five. Five hundred thousand. Will y'all do a record with me? You know what I'm saying. So it's like we get booked in Italy now, and I'm like, that's the reality of what it is. What it is is when you've got a community. You know, you use your numbers. I use my numbers. We help each other come up, and we stay unified, and we own that platform. Right. Like to me, the most gangster dudes is on Live Nation. That's what they did. You know, Live Nation used the streaming popularity to get booking arenas. Like, yo, you gotta have these streaming numbers to do this. Uh huh. Now they buying arenas up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So wow. like, that's what you you know, but 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 the crazy thing though, none of this works without DJs though. It don't. We y'all 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 are the FedEx that you imagine you know, I'm a former one. I don't, I don't claim being a crazy DJ like that. I'm <laughs> but but you know what though? I'm still a beast though. Like, thanks to Serato and all of that. Now you gotta carry no damn cases and no more old. OCC cases and nothing like that. <laughs> OCC. There's a Serato scratch and all that. And it's a Serato. And I'm like, ah, it, it comes back to you naturally. Like about two weeks ago, I just sat up and pulled up a bunch of files and started blending them. I was like, oh my God, I still got it. I'm still mm. kind of mean with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like the messengers of the, 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 the forward process thought of information and music is always going to come. The DJs is going to have everything first, the exclusives. Yeah. And so y'all, y'all are the porthole to all the future of this, of this saucy music. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody's going to go with what they're comfortable with. Put you it in the chat if you're a DJ. Shout them yeah. out. <laughs> yes, shout them out. <laughs> it's like yo, the the you know, tradition is the best way to kill your craft. You know what I'm saying? And a yeah. lot of people. That's what's happening in the music now. That's why it's like kind of late. You know, that's why everybody's sitting there waiting for the next cat to hit the next, you know, the, the, the next Chris Brown or something. So you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel, but the next crazy dope thing that's going to be in music is going to come from a DJ because it's not going to come from a from a traditional source. You know, so it's not going to come from keyboard players. It's like they don't with musician. The musician and production game right now is so saturated. I don't see it coming from the mindset of a musician of, you know, and that's like, really your dopest producers are DJs. Yeah. DJ, DJ terrible. Tim will, can still come out with some shit. Cause his mind ain't going to work like no damn music producer. That's Timberland can play keyboards and all of that shit, but he's a, he's making beats. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's, he's making DJ beats, chopping them shits up and putting chord melodies to him. Yeah. And he, because the one thing that he has is if he don't get that crowd bumping, you know what I'm saying? Right. And then what? Then, then from that whole lineage is some Pharrells and all of that, and then the cast that come underneath them. 
do you think that's the natural progression of a DJ is to go into producing? I think the natural progression, if you want to make money and make change, absolutely. Because I've met, I, I put it to you this way. I, I mean, you've been in enough studios to see the difference between a really dope musician versus a real dope DJ influenced musician or somebody that got knowledge of DJing or hip hop and something like that. Like for instance, one of my favorite producers is J. Cole. You know what I'm saying? If you ever listen to J. Cole records, that's a DJ that turned into a producer that happens to be a hell of a rapper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's like J. Cole, the rapper, is like the last thing I'm thinking about. You know, so I really couldn't even recite some shit from his records, but his beats are crazy. And that, yeah. comes, from, that comes from his DJ ear. Kanye West, the same thing, too. That comes from that DJ ear. You know, Badu, that comes from that DJ ear. They, there's something about that. There's something about your, it speaks to your creative voice with all that blending and all of that. Now, me, my gift is I can navigate all of those worlds, you know what I'm saying? But it's like I have, but my my musical intellectual understanding is always going to be from a DJing perspective. Right. If you're trying to make a commercial record and trying to make money. You better know that this beat is at this BPM and this in this key or else radio, if it's in the key of C, well, should I go this way, right? If it's in the key of C, you know what I'm saying? And everybody else's song is in the key of C, why am I making a song in the key of E? Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's going to stand out, but I'm the one that the DJs ain't going to play because I'm right. not with these cats. Because they don't mix. <laughs> everybody, everybody else tempo, you know, everybody's at the hot, hot girl summer beat tempo, you know what I'm saying? But why I'm going to come out with something that's 200 beat, beats per minute? You know what I'm so that's that's the recording industry type of thought. Yeah, you know, so that's why I was like, you know, just like house music. What, what would house music be without a four-four drum, four on the floor? If you, it, it ain't even a house record if you ain't got boots, 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 boots. I call it boots and pants. If you ain't got boots and pants and boots and pants and boots, 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 boots. You know what I'm saying? You not a house record. You know what I'm saying? Or if you, you you change that up and you double in halftime, it again, that's the same thing. Like you got that four on the floor going and you throw extra beat in it. Boom, 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 boom. And then you take the, the, the snare and throw it on the three. Boom, 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 boom. Now you're making freestyle music, you know what I'm saying? Boom, 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 And I haven't even done that, you know what I'm saying? I produced Little Susie, you know what I'm saying? And Little Susie, Little Susie, all of it. So, you, but all of that, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I, I tell you, my, I tell anybody, yo, that song I did, "A More of My Love" on, um, on that freestyle joint with Latif, that joint still go hard. <laughs> that song is hot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Just, yeah, that joint so, is fire. Dave, but, we, yeah. we are, we are a little past the hour. I want to okay. ask you a few, a few questions, and and hope you'll you'll be able to come back. Yeah. Later in the month, um, yeah. what what type of music do you listen to when nobody's around? When nobody's around, I listen to a bunch of weird shit. One <laughs> <laughs> example. One example. I have okay. Uh, bachata with Mexican folk music with trap sounds. 
it sounds crazy, you know what I'm saying? But it actually makes sense. You know what I'm saying? I, I can make it make sense. You know? <laughs> but that's the beauty of it. That but but um again with with, with your DJ ear, you would find a commonality and make it make sense. You'll find to make a record as a DJ, you don't need all of this. You just right. need, you know what I'm saying? Because what we used to do is like chop this up. Let me get that snare. You know what I'm saying? Let me get let me get the snare from Mardi Gras. Boom. Let me get the cowbell from this record. And, and that's basically what production do. It's the only thing different nowadays is you got that shit all in templates and websites. You don't do it on you don't chop up no damn records. You go to a website like Splice. They go, oh, they got that kit from that record. You know what I mean? <laughs> But like the type of music I like listening to on my own, I, I really it's, it's the, the scope is too large. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, I'm actually here. We're going to some film score sound and stuff. Like I'm doing five different projects at one time and let you know how my music goes. I'm doing Berry Baby and Friends kids music, but I'm doing my dude Dwayne Pugh album uh, Retro New Soul, which is basically kind of like if you can imagine John Legend on roids, you know what I'm saying? But that, that album is um, inspired by um, the Godfather of Harlem, that show on Epics with Forrest Whitaker. I just love, because I, I grew up in Harlem. So I like, you know, to me, I listen to their music. I'm like, I love all the hip hop and all that, but I'm like, yo, the backdrop to Nikki Barnes and all of them. I was a kid when they was running around, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I was a kid when, Bill, when, when, when Nikki Barnes and them was sitting in the, and the Drew Hamilton projects were on the swings talking their joints and you know something like a miracle will come on or what can I say? You know, it's like what can I say? You know, something like that. But it's like those are the records that later on we grew up and chopped up and made into hit records, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm just kind of doing homage to that. But then on the same token, with all of this political stuff going on, all this distress, I'm kind of doing like my version of Marvin Gaye's, you know, what's going on, you right. know what I'm so like, well, I'll send you like samples of all of this stuff to show you my dexterity. And then I got a friend of mine that lives out in the woods up north, and I'm doing like country hip hop. <laughs> so I'm a hot mess, and I'm on the charts with dance music. So, so you uh, have, you know, and they love that over. They love that overseas, though. Oh, they they love it everywhere. You house music is actually blowing up in Atlanta, but you know the community out in Atlanta. So yeah, yeah. Dallas is slowly getting in, but the youth are loving house music. You know what I'm saying? Really? The youth are, are doing, they got them dance where they doing the SpongeBob dance at like 10,000 miles an hour. And I'm like, you know, they let, they let, or, or Afrobeat is killing the game too. And Afrobeat is basically house music. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could probably blast you a beat right now. You'd be like, oh my God, that, that sounds like house. But I'm like, nah, that's what they would call Afrobeat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's really, you know, the, uh, one little change of your kick or some shit, and you're in a different genre. You know, and that's because the establishment just wants it labeled at that, but us DJs would know that shit ain't right. music, man. Like I said, I used to take Pat Benatar vocals and throw hip hop beats under that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or or the the theme from the Young and the Restless and shit, and throw hip hop beats out of it, and then fucking Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis come around and take that shit and did no more drama on Mary J. You know what I'm saying? So like as DJs, we we have that eclectic ear. We hear weird shit. Yeah. If you don't, if you hear regular, you know what I'm saying, then, then shit, you can just listen to music on your phone. You know what I'm yeah. But if you, you, what 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 it is? I tell these young kids when I'm doing um, you know, giving speeches and commencement speeches and all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
you did nobody will be the same. You're your own Jesus genius because you're your life's music library. My musical library is vast because as a kid, I actually listened to country music. You know, saying W K I K in New York back in the day. New York was one of the hottest spots for country music back in the day when I was a kid. Mm. So I kind of like I listened to country music and then I actually listened. I came. My first instrument was bass, but I picked that up trying to learn how to play heavy metal. Through one of my mentors, Gene Singleton, which is crazy. And that's how the whole crossover to rock and the hip hop came by. I had a lot to do with that. Yeah. So I'm like, I had a lot to do with that BC Boy, Eminem, Vanilla Ice shit. You know what I'm saying? You know? And I'm like, it's what your influences are. The music, the music library that you heard all your life is where your music is going to come from. You'll be like, oh, okay, this goes well with this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And now, because the information gets out so fast, to me, that's the bad thing right. about, you know what I'm saying? It kind of devalues the search. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so like, oh, you asked what I, what was kind of weird is I'm, the other day I was listening to Korean hip hop jazz vocals, not even the beats. Cause they just got some ill shit in there. I, can, <laughs> I cannot even think of how that sounds. Well, the, the crazy thing is going on YouTube and how I found it. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude was on, he got it all on vinyl. So, like, you know how that goes. Like, basically, okay, we had all these R&B hits from the 80s. Like, um, let, let's think of, like, an underground, uh, underground, like, Earl, Earl, what's his name? Um, Earl of Pearl used to have a label. We had a dude signed to him, Keith Harrison or some shit like that. And he had a song, like, I'm going through circles. It's one of them type of electronic 80s joints, you know what I'm saying? I was born yet. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> like you heard Shannon, right? Shannon record. Uh-huh. You know, so let the music play. Yeah. It was one of those type of records. I mean, I call it like, like 80s electronic hip hop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So in the disco. <laughs> so those B-side records, they used to try and imitate us in Korea and uh-huh. Japan. And all of those records is on vinyl. So it's like, I, I didn't understand. You might not understand the language, but them damn beats were going hard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm listening to that, you know what I'm saying? And then I'm coming up and I let that influence me now and try to make my own little thing out of it. Right. Because you know I, mean? I, to me, it's, it's just easy. To me, for me as music producers, it's real, real, real easy to be regular. Somebody said, um, Earl of Pearl had Pretty Pearl Records. Right, yeah. yeah. What, was dude, what was that dude name that was signed to Pretty Pearl Records? Uh, Curtis Harrison? Or? I don't he know. He had a hit. Dude had a hit record. So if, if you pull him up in the chat, yeah. <laughs> I, used to, I used to live on 87th in Amsterdam. Earl of Pearl used to live on 88th between Amsterdam and Columbus. Wow. He used to walk past my building all the time. We used to talk to Earl of Pearl and he had the blue Mercedes with the convertible Mercedes. He probably still got that name <laughs> thing. <laughs> was it light blue? <laughs> a dark blue, dark blue Mercedes SL five hundred or whatever, <laughs> and he had a brownstone on eighty eighth. He might still have it, you know. What I'm saying? Mm, for real, yeah, and probably still got that same damn Mercedes, you mm. know what I'm saying? But he was chilling. He used to Walt Frazier and all of them used to come by when we was kids. We were like, oh my god, look at my Hairston. Yes, yes. Can they pull that record up? He put in the chat Curtis Hairston. Yeah, that's I was close. I think I said Curtis. Said, yeah. Yes. But if you listen to that record, that record goes hard. They know what I'm talking about in the chat. Mm-hmm. Now imagine somebody in Korea trying to do that type of music. Mm. So there's like 900 of them hot joints. 
So that's what I'm listening to now. Yeah, you did take that left field. So two more things. Let me go in the vault. And uh, you, you know I'm a collector. Yeah, yeah. I collect old electronics and everything. So when I show you this, mm-hmm. just tell me your thoughts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> can you picture somebody on skates with these things on right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, I can tell you something about the on 87th and Amsterdam with the big antenna sticking out, riding the bike around was on. Rosie Perez used to ride her bike around wearing them things. Uh, and it still works. They still oh, work. Yeah. So I, I, actually, I had the wireless, the, the I had the wireless TV version of that. Oh. In my garage somewhere. <laughs> it's like a wireless one with big headphones and the antennas and all that. So you can hear your TV and fry your brain. One more thing before we wrap this up. What would you tell? a DJ who's just getting into the game, how would you school them? Uh, you broke you broke, you broke, broke up on that last part. What would I tell DJ what? What would you tell a DJ that's getting into the game and, um, you know, just starting out? What, what advice would you give them? A DJ just starting out? Try to find a creative lane, but never forget rule number one. And the rule number one is unless you got them asses moving, you ain't doing nothing. <laughs> so don't go too left field with it. You know what I'm saying? Don't try and reinvent the wheel, but find your creative lane in there and, and you'll be all right. Because you're going to go through the natural progression. Whether you like it or not, when you're a DJ, you are a producer because the word producer actually means producing something means to get results <laughs> you know what I'm from your actions you are creating great life energy and you are really necessary now you know what I'm saying you can you can be a random dj and go anywhere and if you're familiar with the play the playlist that facilitates that that need in that area you can bring life into people you got people springing up everywhere just coming out with bluetooth sessions just hitting it and you can start a damn party. Who the hell can who else can do that? Who else can start a damn riot party? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? With two little, with two little ass speakers and the power of music. Yep. And it's like the Spider-Man movie. And with great power comes great responsibility. Folks, you know, so I'm telling new cats out, you know, be 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 responsible and respectful and be committed. You know what I'm saying? Don't just come, don't just, just do the shit because you think it's cute. You know? <laughs> put some respect on them, put some respect on them stands. There's a history and a culture with DJs that's real important and the story needs to be told. You know? I used to run by my, my dude on Grandmaster Flash, he used to go by his crib, and he had a house that was just for records. Mm. And so imagine what his music library is and what he can tell. Me. I got a garage full, but it ain't it ain't a house size, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying. And the thing is, when you get into records, like I'm old school, so back in the day, just like you said with Curtis Harrison, I used to read records. So when you read records, you start to wonder what what was this dude thinking? Like even as a musician, I tell cats when I go through records or produce or got young dudes, keyboard players or whatever coming and playing with me, and they're like, "Why didn't you like my keyboard part?" And I mean, these dudes got degrees and they nasty. I said, "I didn't like your keyboard part." Because to me, you're missing the element of like, for instance, if I if I hear um, 
what's that song? Walking on Sunshine. And if, if I said, you have to know musical melody. Because if I was to go to any DJ up here, if I was to go to y'all and go, y'all know what the fuck that is. A regular dude that just graduated, whatever college, you Bob, you dancing in your seat. A regular dude that you know that goes to school for this, he'll just go, and he's like, you know, dude, know why you're doing that shit. Know why that cat did that. Yeah, somebody said, you see somebody said uh, Flash had a barn full of records. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, uh, Mr. Sadler is no damn joke. That's probably one of his barns. That bro, he don't play around <laughs> at all. Yeah, Mr. Sadler. That's what he's on. Because I used to be on tour with him. And the Flash, the Flash and Furious 5 with them damn loud ass suits. <laughs> pink, pink, them hot pink leathers. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know what I'm saying? So that's, you, as a DJ, you hear that. And, yeah. And it's so crazy to see cats going to school, dropping a hundred grand and ain't got no damn ear. Play the shit out of a keyboard. You know, play the shit out of a keyboard, bass, pull them in a the session. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? Because <laughs> yeah, they have no musical ear what it is. So they're literally thinking that they're reading the chart going, din, 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 din. I'm like, nah, dude, I need that walking on sunshine type of, I need that same attack. And that melody, but I want it this way. Right. And they're like, I don't know what you're saying. You know, so I get like Scotty on Star Trek, more power. Get my record, bitch. Make it <laughs> we, we could be here all night, but we're going oh, to wrap this up. My apologies, people. I actually know Harry. <laughs> you know, like, so, we, we talk longer than this all the time anyway. So yeah. I'm going to close this out. Thank you. Dave, uh, DJ Juice, Buddha, DJ. Super yes, Dave. You got more Dang. names than Apollo Creed. <laughs> so we are going to close this out. Thank you, Dave. Shiners. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Hey, no problem. Please. So thanks again. This is wrapping up another episode of the DJ interview. Tomorrow, we will have another one, 8 o'clock sharp. I will see you then.